I'm going to this teaching time and next Sunday morning. We're going to be looking at studying the Word, looking to Jesus, perfecting our faith. That's the topic. Studying the Word, looking to Jesus, perfecting our faith. The text we're going to be studying is uh, Hebrews 11:39 to 12:2, and there are some really interesting things in this text. Hebrews 11:39 to 12:2. I hope you have a Bible in one form or another and follow it, because there's some words I want to show you. A little later on, specific words, phrases, and I want you to see them right in your Bibles. Okay, 1139. And all these, these are that list of great heroes of faith that are described in Hebrews chapter 11. That's who the writer's talking about. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did not receive what was promised. Since God had something better for us, that apart from us, right here, you, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What, is, what does that mean? We're going to look at, now 12.1. Therefore, therefore is the connector. So somehow, what he just said, those confusing sentences, that's what leads into these, some of the best known verses in the whole Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That devotional that I read, didn't you? I, I read that through and I thought, that's me. Like, that's sin. It's like, a, it's like a stain in a garment, isn't it? It just, it's... Ugh. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You don't choose it. It's set before you. It's marked out for you. Not the same for everybody. The race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter, the old King James, author, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's just pray. Help us with the challenging parts of this text. And the application portion of this text, help us to see splendor in the truth of your word and beef up our souls with what we study and learn as your Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a challenging text, and here's what I want to do. I feel... We need a longer than usual introduction, kind of setting the context of these words. And then we'll study the first half of what I'm going to call point number one. Next Sunday, we'll finish. And 
<laughs> the reason I'm telling you that is so if you're visiting today, you don't pass out and fall in the aisle when after a half hour or so I say now point number one, because we'll be like well into it and almost, almost done. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 will, will almost certainly be misunderstood unless before we get to them, we study these really difficult words. These ones don't just roll off the tongue like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But I don't think we'll understand Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 properly unless we look at these difficult words in Hebrews 11, right at the end of that chapter, 39 and 40. I already talked about them a bit. And, and all these, these are the people listed in Hebrews 11. Though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. That's the important part. But then this sentence doesn't seem to make sense. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. How many, how many emotionally uh, soaring exhortations have been given in churches all over the place, in Bible studies, in classrooms, encouraging Christians to persevere in their faith because after all, there's this great grandstand, picture bleachers of these witnesses watching us, encouraging us, cheering us on as we live our Christian life. Seeing we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let's persevere. Let us run with patience. And I want to try and show you that that application, while perhaps very emotionally stirring, has almost nothing to do with the text. We mustn't run ahead to those opening verses of chapter 12 with their very lyrical, trumpeting, encouraging words about being surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. We shouldn't rush into that before we know who these witnesses are. That's point number one. And, and why they're there. Because it's, it's what God is up to with these witnesses that explains both the nature of the race we're in and why it so frequently requires perseverance. The tricky words are found in that 40th verse. Verse 39 is straightforward enough. And all these, these heroes of faith listed in the 11th chapter, all these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. I mean, they died. We know this. They died putting their faith in God's promised future redemption in Christ. They believed it as best they could with the revelation they had. And so they died putting their faith in God's promised rescue. They died looking forward in hope but not having arrived at the goal of their journey, and we naturally admire their rugged persistence. Okay, 40 is not that complicated. But then, it seems to get all twisted. 39, I mean, is not all that complicated. But then 40, 40 gets it all twisted around. Whatever translation you have, 
And all these, 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That part isn't hard to understand. But what comes next really is weird. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, those witnesses, Hebrews 11, they should not be made perfect. I mean, the last part of the verse just seems wrong. It, it, it seems like it should read, it should read something like this. And all these, 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And 40 should say, since God had provided something better for them. I mean, that makes sense. God didn't grant their full reward in this earthly life because, well, he had something better for them all. Their reward wasn't here anyway. I mean, that's the writer of Hebrews has already told us. Abraham, he lived here on earth, 1110, looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So that would just make sense. All these died in faith. They didn't receive what was promised. That's 39. 40, because God had something better for them. Only, here's the problem. It's not what the text says at all. It says, they died, all those heroes of faith, they died without inheriting the promise because God had something better for us. It's just weird. So Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, look at the list, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the text is saying something shocking. It's saying all those great people were intentionally kept from receiving God's full inheritance of promised redemptive blessing specifically for you and for me. Now, I find that striking. I mean, think about it for a minute. Here's what the text is saying. You put your name in here. God withheld blessings. Here's what the text is saying. God withheld blessings from Abraham for the benefit of Don Horbin. That's what that text is saying. God withheld benefits from Abraham For me. For you. And I'm saying, if that's true, how does that work? How are you and I benefited by these great heroes of faith dying without receiving the full measure of their promised redemption? How, how is their loss, how does that become good for me, my gain. And here's what I want to say. We're still introducing the text now. Don't panic. Are you with me? How does their loss become my gain? And I think our text gives two answers to that question. That's what we're going to look at now for most of the time. We'll, we'll consider the first answer from the last part of verse 40. 
and the second answer from the first part of verse 40. So how do we benefit? How do we benefit from these people not receiving the object of the promise? First, two ways we benefit. First, if all those heroes of faith listed in chapter 11, if they all received the full, complete fruit of the redemption promised to them, if they received it way back then, you and I would be lost. That's what those difficult words mean in the last part of verse 40. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I mean, here's what we know. Stay with me. Here's what we know about all those saints who lived before Christ. We know that the, the full, how can I put it, consummation, revelation of their redemption, that was accomplished after the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And we know the Apostle Paul writes of a time when there were only 500 people who remained as living witnesses to those events. Paul says that. What if Christ came and returned, wrapped up his kingdom, established his new creation? What if he had done it way back then? What if the second coming happened right back then? Specifically, what would have happened to you and me? We aren't even born, right? We're not on the scene. And God's going to wrap up history. But he's going to do it before you and I are on the scene. All of those heroes of faith praised in Hebrews chapter 11, well, they would have experienced their complete, full, final reward in Christ. The full inheritance of God's promised redemption, deliverance, resurrection, new creation. But none of that would have touched us. None of it. They would have been made perfect. Listen, they would have been made perfect, but it would have been apart from us. And that's exactly what verse 40 says God didn't want to do. He didn't want them made perfect in his new creation at the second coming of Jesus. He didn't want it to be apart from us. He wanted it to be with us, including us. His plan hasn't changed, you know. He's still waiting. A lot of people wonder, why so long? Good night. Why so long? He's still allowing all sorts of good, wonderful, believing, faithful Christians to come on the scene and pass off the scene generation after generation, waiting for his full deliverance and new creation. And he still does it for the very same reason, if you want to see it. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They're going to say, where in the world is the promise of this coming? Since the fathers fell asleep. You guys have been talking about this forever. 
ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. No, no, no. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all. How many people does God want to repent? Is it maybe just the elect? How many? So, there's the first way we benefit. God withholds their complete final redemption because he wants us in on it. Okay? That's reason number one. There's a second way, just as precious, designed by God, through which we receive great benefit from those, those great heroes of faith not receiving the full inheritance of their faith. And it's explained in the first part of verse 40. We're going to get a running start. 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God, 40, had something better for us. And here's the second benefit that we get. It's amazing news. I mean, God's plan from the very beginning was to use the, uh, the unfulfillment of their faith to provide something better for us. And here's the second thing we get. We get to look back at the steadfastness of their trust in God over a long, long, difficult haul. I need that. We get to see people commended for great faith. It wasn't because they didn't have faith. A lot of people will teach that, and it's nonsense. We get to see people commended for great faith, 1139, but not rewarded for their faith completely, 40. And, and here's how, here's how that's providing something better for us, like verse 40 says. If I didn't have the example, if I didn't have the example of their persistent faith, their uphill faith, then I would be more conditioned, more prone to discouragement and disillusionment when I don't experience the reward of my faith fully in these present circumstances. I'd immediately assume that God's being unfair with me. I'd immediately assume I must not be spiritual enough or good enough or have enough faith, and that's the reason I'm in the mess I'm in. And God knew I'm like that. God knew we all would find ourselves up against it. Not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over again in our Christian walk. And we need to have a way of knowing what's going on. We have something better than a lot of those Old Testament saints had, you see. Enoch, Joseph, Abraham. They never had, they never had the kind of printed record of how people wrestled with trials with great faith. They never had that. But we do. We have 
we have their record of unfulfilled faith in the face of deep obstacles, and they kept trusting God. Only we get their example. They didn't have their example. We're benefited. We're benefited. We now know that all of these great heroes of faith, that great crowd of witnesses, we all now know that nobody receives the full inheritance of their faith in this life. We now know that everyone has to wait with patience. We now know that the race inquires everybody to be full of endurance. We now know that trials aren't an evidence of a lack of love of God or a lack of interest on God's part. And we know it from the record of those unrewarded saints. So that's the second way we benefit. By the way, think about this. God still works the same way. God also allows you and he allows me to scrape through trials and difficulty and pain and confusion and unanswered questions in this life. He allows us to suffer abuse of a treatment from others, bad treatment from people right in the church, right in the body of Christ, who say mean things on Facebook and Instagram. God allows all that so that others will look at you and look at me and find strength in the way we endure. It's the same process continuing down through the ages. Now, we're ready to start looking at these saints. Brace yourself, point number one. But I've got, we're like four-fifths through my notes, so don't panic. I have three thoughts. Since we are surrounded, look at 12.1 now. We've done the background work. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And the context tells us these words point back to Hebrews 11. Others who faithfully ran the same race. The text doesn't say these people are watching us. That's not what this is about. They aren't witnesses in that sense. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We are watching them. We are looking to them because they are reliable witnesses. They give true testimony to the way faith works. And so we're looking to them. I want you to see a portion of your experience as we start to wrap up looking at a few of these people. A, Noah. Look at Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, he had no evidence. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, I want to look at this phrase, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, Noah. Here's what you think of when you think of Noah. Say whatever you want. Here's Noah. He stays with a task. <laughs> I mean, he's got an assignment. And against all odds, facing nothing but ridicule, 
He just keeps going. There was every reason in the world to conclude that God's promise wasn't true. Noah had every reason in the world to not believe that promise. He had so little to encourage any kind of confidence in God. And the writer says, look at him. We're specifically told, you study Noah. Here's why. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I suppose there are some people here who haven't been Christians very long. I want to say this to you. If you're going to quit every time some small-minded person ridicules you, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. Student, if you're going to deconstruct your faith every time some university professor raises a question you can't handle, you're never going to make it. If you're going to find a new church every time somebody says something in this church that you didn't like, you're never going to make it. What do you do? Look at Noah. Look at Noah. In fact, our text says Noah's faith condemned the world. That doesn't mean Noah hated the world. That's not what that's about. Or it doesn't mean he lived on some other planet. What it means is everyone could look at the outward actions of Noah, continuing in faith, and they could see that their own priorities were ridiculous and short-sighted. That's how he condemned the world. So Noah makes me ask myself this question. Where does my outward life, not my beliefs, not my creed, not my church membership statement, my, my outward life, my observable actions day by day, where do those actions make the lifestyle around the world, of the world around me, where do they make it look short-sighted and empty? God's word came to pass for Noah. God is always trustworthy, and Noah finished the race. B, Abraham. Everybody knows the story of Abraham. By faith, Abraham was, he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I love that. Do you go through seasons in your walk with God, trying to do the best you can? but not knowing for sure where you're going? Do, do, you ever feel, do you ever feel uncertain about why God is taking you down the path he's taking you on? Do you ever wonder if he has your future in control? If anybody's got their hands on the wheel? Remember Abraham. I mean, the central feature of his life was he sets out in obedience, on a course, God told him, make sure it's God, not just a goofy idea. God told him. He sets out on a course, in obedience, not seeing the whole picture, like most of us have to walk and follow Jesus. And he kept following in obedience when he couldn't understand what God was doing. And he finished the race. 
In fact, when you're tempted to doubt God, when you just can't trace his hand on your life, Abraham is a good witness to consider. Because remember, this old man, upward 90s, with his barren wife, was she older? I can't remember. She was pretty old. His barren wife, they gave birth to a nation. That's not bad for a man who didn't know where he was going. Last one, C, Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received, isn't that a phrase? Power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, that's an understatement. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Hear me, church. Do you ever feel called by God to, to, give, to give birth to something that you don't think you can produce? Ever? An assignment? A task? A calling? A command? A command to stop doing something that you don't feel you can live without? The command to break off relationship with someone that you know isn't right, you know isn't fitting, and you don't think you can ever be happy if you obey the Lord? Do you ever feel called to give birth to something and you just don't feel in your power to produce it? Well, remember Sarah. Remember Sarah. The writer of Hebrews says, as you run the race of faith, crack open your Bible, set your eyes on Sarah. When you don't feel worthy, when you don't feel you have enough faith, set your eyes on Sarah and remember that when God told her she was going to have a child, she laughed in his face. Yeah. She was promised God's fruitfulness when all she could see was barrenness. Nothing but barrenness ever seemed possible. And we're supposed to look to these witnesses. We're supposed to, I'm supposed to apply that example to areas of my life where I find it hard to believe I'll ever be fruitful again. Next Sunday, I'm done. Next Sunday, first Sunday of the new year, it seems like a great Sunday to finish off studying these people, doesn't it? Let me make this my final exhortation. We're about to step into a new year. None of us knows what it holds. The, the, the command in Hebrews chapter 12 it's, it's, about, it's a command about the book. It's a command to look at those witnesses. They aren't just in Hebrews 11, of course. They're in your whole Bible. The command is, this year, 2022, I don't know how busy you're going to be. I don't know what's going to happen in any of our lives. I know this. Strength will come from our lives being anchored here. 
Corporately, as a church, we have nothing else to do but make sure we get this book into our hearts. And then into the hearts of all sorts of people who don't know Jesus yet. But it's still, this is the mission. And you, you need this, you need this every day in this coming year. Watching me, you need this every day this coming year. You know what I want to be? I want to be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. What that means is, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know the resources will always be there if my life is here. That's what the water does. But here's how the word works. Let me put it into modern imagery. Two ways that we get guidance. One is your GPS. The other is old school. It's a map. Nobody uses maps anymore. But I want to tell you an important difference. GPS, you just kind of set it, and it'll just tell you where to drive and where to turn. The Word doesn't work that way. The Word actually works when you want direction for your life. It works more like a map, because you know what you have to do with a map? You actually have to read it. <laughs> Don't you? you got to study a map. You know what it's like. You, you fold. We used to go on trips, and my dad would go to... CAA and get 42 maps and, and you'd have them folded and you never get them folded back up the same way and they're spread all over the place and you mark a route. But that's, that's the picture. You want the strength, the direction from this book. It never works GPS. It's a map. So just make it your resolve. We'll finish this next Sunday morning. Make it your resolve. Here's what you do. You say something like this to the Lord. I refuse. In 2022, I absolutely dogmatically refuse to ever let my head touch the pillow at night without some time spent in that word. If that has to be at 2 a.m., if that has, and it doesn't have to be an hour, I refuse to go to bed at night without some time, five minutes, I will get in this book. And everyone said, Jesus, help us to do it. Your word, it's a lamp to my feet, light to my pathway. It puts our roots where the stream is. And even texts like this one, they, they just are there. They're there like that 39th and 40th verse. They're there to teach us that you have to study this book. It isn't always light and breezy. It's meditate on it. Keep us anchored there as a church. My goodness, there are so many strange, weird, distracting things happening in all sorts of churches. We can't do anything about all the churches. But in this place, in this place, through the Word, the Holy Spirit, and glorifying Jesus. Just keep us all on track, I pray, in your name. Do it again. Say amen. Say it again. Amen.